Welcome everybody back to War Room Nap Hockey Podcast, episode 77 this week. We are uh, discussing consistency along with a number of other topics, but the main one being consistency. Consistency to win, consistency to be successful, uh, consistency uh, needed to make long playoff runs and win Stanley Cups. So consistency this week, episode 77 of War Room, the Hockey Podcast. Uh, if you've listened to pe- previous episodes of, of War Room, we've had a great friend in uh, Ryan Walter uh, on the show. Um, we look forward to hopefully having him back on the show come April. Uh, I know he's expressed interest in that, and we look forward to having him back. You can find Ryan Walter at ryanwalter.com. We're also great friends at Breakaway Brewing in the Okanagan Valley. If you're ever in Summerland and in the Okanagan, stop by Breakaway Brewing, your home for craft beer in the Okanagan. Delicious tacos and delicious beer uh, that can't be beat from anywhere else. Uh, Main staples right now are um, a very delicious Indian Pale Lager, as well as a vanilla cream, our soft batch, the soft batch, Soft batch, small batch. Forgive me. Um, at the at the moment is a peanut butter porter. So um, obviously these things will change as summer comes along and as different things like that. A lot of different creative, uh, cool recipe ideas in the works, um, and uh, so we're excited. So make sure you get to Breakaway Brewing uh, and check all that out, as well as have delicious tacos and a great environment. Uh, we're getting ready uh, for the start of the BCHL season as well as uh, getting to the playoffs for the NHL. So we are getting to to that. Stop into Breakaway Brewing to catch your hockey team while enjoying a delicious craft beer. Breakaway Brewing in the Okanagan Valley. Great friends of the show. We appreciate it. Uh, War the Hockey Podcast, episode 77 this week, all about consistency. Um, we are trying to remain keep consistency with the show by bringing you content even though it is via Zoom. So we appreciate your patience and understanding. We look forward to being back in person in studio here very, very soon. That is the hope. Um, our new studio is still in the works. We are obviously only so much we can do while we wait for construction to finish with it, but it is in the works as well as eventual video podcasts to go along with our audio podcasts. So look for that here in the coming weeks and the coming months for Warren the Hockey Podcast. But this week, episode 77, consistency, 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 Warren the Hockey Podcast, episode 77. On Zoom, <laughs> I'm I'm tired of this, but we are stuck with this like the rest of the world for the time being. Yes, um, not because we have any distancing requirements at uh, at the studio, but uh, travel issues have have reared their head. But doesn't stop us from doing our thing. No. Nope. Speaking of our thing, it occurs to me looking around and I, I'm sure the listeners are way ahead of us on this, but it, we're, we're so right so often that it's a wonder that people continue to tune in. Like it, it seems like it would get tiresome after a while. You think? I would think so. We're right about a lot. So, <laughs> well, 
I just, I'm just looking down the standings and, and uh, you know, looking around the league and who's playing well, who's not, and surprises and whatnot. Um, we picked the North. That's right where we had it. No big deal there. Could go any one of three or four ways, but the, it's not a surprise. The East is the same way. The only thing that, uh, you know, you might – I still think – I still like the Flyers to sneak in over Boston or Pittsburgh. Probably Boston, um, Tampa, Carolina, Florida. No big, no big shock there. I'm su- surprised with, however, six games in hand that Dallas isn't in the mix. But again, six games in hand. And out west, anything could happen. There's at least five teams out there, if not, you know, a wild, crazy dart at the wall, and and Los Angeles could sneak in, but that's very doubtful. Shocker is Minnesota. That's the one place that we missed today. Eh? Uh, we missed it, but the question is, do they? I guess the question would be, do they? Uh, do they keep it up? Is the question? Yeah, exactly. As of today, as yeah. of today, we got it. As of today, it's the one anomaly where right. where we can we might have got it wrong, but we're still early enough where it's you have to ask yourself. And they're playing well. And every year there seems to be a team that is trending toward a rebuild that just has that compete level that puts them in the mix. You saw it last year with Chicago and things like that. But the question is, and anything's possible, but will Minnesota keep that trend going? Um, Where they're succeeding right now is they're playing – they, you watch Minnesota play and they want it more. No matter who their opponent is, they want it more. And, Playing hard, absolutely. When you go, when you take a team like that and you put them against a team like god-awful Colorado and, <laughs> and their lack of consistency, Minnesota walks away with two points. Yep. A team like, a team like Colorado, on the other hand, labeled a, a cup favorite and all these things. And what gets me about teams like that is, and we know a few of them, we love a few of them. They're in our hearts. We, they mean a, the world to us. And I'm sure you'll know who I'm talking about in a second, but <laughs> yeah. there are some people that don't know hockey beyond the final score. Oh yeah. So they'll so they'll watch the game and a team will lose and the team sucks. Whereas you and I, and this is in no way putting my, us on pedestals or selfishly patting our own backs, but you and I can look at the game and go, okay, team lost, but that was a hard fought loss. That was a well earned loss, meaning they they one or two bounces and it's the other way. Yes. And, and everything like that. So you look at it and I'm careful with things like using Colorado as an example with, when I see people like that on social media or anywhere else talking about how horrible the avalanche are. They're not horrible. What the avalanche are that makes me say they are not a cup contender is their lack of consistency more so than any goaltending issue 
more so than health, more so than anything like that. Because if you are a cup contender, you're professional athletes. The, the we're rebuilding and building chemistry argument only takes you so far before you, before you finally just say, at the end of the day, you're professionals, you compete, compete. And so they lack consistency. And any team, not just Colorado, I'm using them as an example because I watch them the most. Any team who does things the way Colorado is doing them right now, where win one, lose one, win one, lose two, win two, lose four, win three, lose two. Yep. This lack of consistency where you don't separate yourself spells bad news long term. Now, obviously, when you get to the playoffs, the slate's clean. It's a whole new ball game for the teams that make the playoffs. It's a whole new world. But 100%. long term, you the teams that really, really show they can compete start to separate themselves. You want to face adversity, but you've got to separate yourself. Colorado should be playing right now and should have an overall record right now of a Toronto who is 17 and 4. Who, you know, and think and a Tampa Bay who is 19 and 6 or whatever. But they don't. They win one, lose one, win one, lose one, win one, lose one, and they're to the point where they're only f- four games above 500. And for a team that has been labeled a cup contender, that's not good enough. Here's, here's the glass half full, and that's a good point. I saw Toronto last week, two weeks ago, go into Edmonton and absolutely dominate three games in a row. And then went to Vancouver, a much, much inferior team on paper, and get walloped twice. I watched Colorado last night play Arizona without McCarr, McKinnon, Comfer, Johnson. Three, they got they lost what three two, and this is as of this recording they lost three two to at home to Phoenix. All three goals were tipped. Colorado outshot them. They they attempted. Yeah, 35-12, three goals on eight shots in the first two periods. All three of them tipped. All three of them tipped by Colorado players, Colorado defensemen. So when you look at that, you go, oh, the, the Avalanche suck. They don't suck. They're missing three of the best players in the game. They're, then the bounces just happen. Like, how do you when, – when Toronto got, went into Vancouver and got beat up, they weren't terrible. They hit – Probably 11 goal posts in two games. They outchanced him, outshot him, and Demko all of a sudden acted like he belongs in the NHL. Like you just never know. And I saw this happen. It happened last night again uh, when Minnesota beat Vegas. Yeah. I see it happen. You know, I see teams that at the bottom of the division kicking the crap out of teams at the top. St. Louis losing to LA or Anaheim. This is uh, San Jose uh, two weeks ago beat up the avalanche. It was embarrassing. And then came back the very next night and things were kind of back to normal as you would expect. So what I'm saying is there's nobody running away with it. And you see every night you see a, a team that you would 
expect that Vegas expects to have the, the Las Vegas odds makers expect to have in the Stanley Cup final, and you see them getting beat by a Nashville or a Detroit. As a hockey fan, it makes it exciting to not have that big separation. However, from an objective standpoint, here's my question to you then, and that is how how long can you use that argument if you get where I'm going with it before you have to say that this team, this team, and I'll, I'll again, cause it's the easy example, Colorado cup favorites. They've got one of the best pipelines in the league. They've got all this stuff. So how long before the, before the McKinnon is hurt and this guy's out and this and that, that's why they're, they're struggling. How long before that's no longer a valid argument because they've got, seriously for any team whether it be Colorado or Toronto or Tampa Bay or any of the top teams because they've got one of the best pipelines in the league they've got a a coach that's proven that a a winner or that they can win they've you know they've got all that stuff so how long is the argument of oh well bounce this bounce that health this health that how long is that a credible argument because at some point they do have to I can tell you how many days it lasts, however long you make it through into the playoffs from beginning to end, whether that's the last day of the seventh game of the cup final or whether it's a four-game sweep in the first round. That's exactly how long it lasts. So, and, and you bring up a good point. Vancouver's won three in a row without Pedersen. No excuses. Play harder. Next man up. Right, right. You're, so, you're labeled a winning team. You're you're given that hype. You're given that all that stuff. You you've got that team on the ice when you look at the roster. So, is there really a reason that you can't go out and beat an Arizona or a Nashville, even if you're missing Byron, McCarr, and McKinnon? Like at, at, what, at what point do you go? Okay, well, this is the hand we're dealt, but. We're grown men. We're athletes. Let's go out and compete. Like, and let's go out and win. We got one of the best pipelines. Let's go out and do it. So that's that. You just described why coaches get fired, why general managers get fired, why players get traded or waived, why first round playoff matches with top seed against bottom seed. Why those sometimes can either go seven games or end up in an upset. You just described it. That's, that's the way the game is. It's part of what makes the game beautiful. It's part of what makes the game extremely aggravating for, aggravating. for the fan. And it makes it tough for the, for the players and the coaches and the media and everybody else to understand how it is that you can take one of the top teams in the league and go in and play the Ottawa Senators, who are really, really not put together yet. They're, we talk about them a lot. They're a good team in a couple of years, but now they just play their hearts out and they're playing loose. You go into Ottawa and you get beat twice. You know, it just happens. It, it, it's um, the, where, where luck is no longer an excuse or a factor is exactly from start to finish of the playoffs. That's just how it works. Agreed. And it's the beauty of the game when you look at it because there's, no, because there's not a whole lot of separation. Anybody can win on any given night and it creates competition level, which is great. Um, I guess my, my argument would be that you still need consistency. Yes, you do. 
Tampa or Vegas can go, can be, get beat by Minnesota or anything like that. But on any given night, though, they're ten and two to start the season. Yeah, they're Toronto is seventeen and four. They're they're stringing together wins is what I'm is what I'm putting together. And right. there are other teams that you know, uh, Colorado, uh, Carolina, uh, anybody like that that would be deemed a competitor for the playoffs or a cup contender that is going out and win one, lose one, win one, lose one. Yep. Where, where other teams are stringing together at least some semblance of a winning streak and some semblance of consistency and chemistry and we're getting the job done. So when we go out and lose to an Arizona, okay, now let's bounce back and win five. Okay, now we lost to Minnesota. Let's bounce back and win six. And now we lost to Nashville. Let's bounce back and win four. You know what I mean? Like you're, there's a response level which which comes from consistency where you you lose one and you're like okay and now you you win two three four six games before you lose another one and that's the difference right now that i see between the torontos and the vegas and these teams that have a separation when you look at their their play and their their record and a team like colorado or carolina or dallas you mentioned earlier where okay they look dominant one game and then they come out and lose six, two, and then they look dominant and then they lose eight, two, and then they look dominant and then they lose. And it's one, 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 one. It, it's all fun and games till the playoffs start, Evan. And that's why in a seven game series, and we talk about this every year uh, and it's been going on every year since the dawn of frozen water. If you're in a seven game series, you, you don't have the luxury of getting cold and losing five out of six. You do, if you do your home. So being, being hot at the right time, these teams may be evenly matched. They, it could be a coin flip, but it's who gets the bounce, who gets the goaltending, who stays healthy, who has the desire, and everything comes together at the perfect time to win a series, to come back and win a game, to win another series, and to win a Stanley Cup. So that's, that consistency is what it takes for four rounds. You have to win 16 games out of 28. So that's, you, you just, you just described the, all the, the highs and lows of the game uh, all at once. Oh, absolutely. But you do need the consistency. You need the win streaks. Yeah. So that, and that's what, when you're a really points. good team, you, that's what the, that's what the regular season is for, to work those kinks out, to get healthy, to get chemistry, to, to solidify some lines, to, lose a few, know what it's like to, to have to fight back and know what it's like to have to wake up in the morning and go, crap, we've just lost three out of four. We're in trouble. We got to dig in, you know, and then you have the players only meeting, you have the leadership group take over. That's what it's like. And that's where winners and contenders and real genuine cup favorites become who they are is by looking at themselves after a, a run like you just described and saying, this isn't good enough, fellas. We got to get it together. We are better than this. We got to make some tactical changes. We got to make some heart and soul changes. Yeah. So anyway, <clears throat> wanted to, wanted to discuss that a little bit. Um, yep. I mentioned in the intro to our last episode, if you, because uh, I do the intro and the outro separately from our zoom calls, but um, if people listen to that, we, you, you would have heard me already mention, but we lost Walter Gretzky and we lost Mark Pavlich 
um, Mark Pavlich from the 1980 USA hockey team uh, that knocked off the Soviets. Um, yep. Miracle, the movie, all that stuff. Um, pa- Pavlich is a character, obviously, in that movie. He's immortalized in it. It's a connection to our Ryan Walter episode because we discussed yep. Miracle a little bit. Um, so he was found dead. I don't know any details beyond that. Don't need to. Um, he was a great hockey player, uh, a great guy in the game. And um, thoughts and prayers to his family. Absolutely. Uh, Walter Gretzky passed away. Um, he was undoubtedly, as I mentioned in the previous episode, undoubtedly um, kind of the kind of everybody's hockey dad. If you, <laughs> you looked at the game that way. Um, so he will be missed. Um, yeah. He didn't, he didn't really have the outward contributions that you see a lot of legendary people have in the game. Um, but he was a constant fixture not only for Wayne, um, but just in the game in general. He was kind of that stereotypical dad that you'd pan the camera and see him there. And he was at the games, even when Wayne wasn't playing anymore, he was at Oilers games and he was, you know, doing these things. Um, He was everybody's hockey dad. So he was. Thoughts and prayers there as well. Yes. Rest in peace, Walter Gretzky and Mark Pavlich. I, I know that, and I won't, I won't say much about it here because I don't have uh, facts in front of me, but I know Mark Pavlich had his personal struggles. He, he, he was, um, I wouldn't say he was a troubled guy because I don't know enough to say that, but I know that his, his path after his hockey life was over was not as straightforward as a lot of them are. Um, in Walter Gretzky's case, do you, you may have been too young to remember <clears throat> the four of us sitting at uh, at the uh, Air Canada Centre watching the Leafs in Boston play, and there was a big commotion about two sections to our right, and it was Walter Gretzky. <laughs> the Oilers weren't playing. The LA Kings weren't playing. Wayne had already retired three years prior to that, and Walter Gretzky was walking up the aisle <clears throat> and and people were just clamoring for his autograph and shake his hand and everything. And he had literally no skin in that game. He's just from the area and he was at the ACC that night. And he is, he is the one guy of all the players that we know that have played the game of, of all time. He may be the one dad or mom or brother or cousin or anybody of an NHL player that is, as well known as the player themselves. Yep. And it's because he was such an ambassador. So yes, rest in peace, Walter Gretzky, uh, Mark Pavlich, we'll miss you and uh, prayers to your families. Um, We will be speaking of uh, losing people and much too soon. Uh, In the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about people that had never, should not be forgotten. Uh, Dan Snyder, Luke Bourdon, uh, Doug Wickenheiser, just off the top of my head, there may be more. If if any of you listening want to contribute to whether it's one of your minor hockey teammates, um, a coach, uh, a builder in your community, let us know. Or if it's somebody that we may have overlooked that that uh, we would all know the name of, um, let us know. Send in your contributions, and we would love to make sure that uh, that these people are not forgotten. Yeah, absolutely. On a lighter note, 
I just want to give one shout out to what is, as of this recording in, in mid-March, <clears throat> what is right now, it's got to be the runaway favorite for nickname of the year so far. And no, it is not Willie Styles. No disrespect to Joe Thornton, who I think highly of. It is not, not Willie Styles. I don't, I'll, I'll let that one pass. But how, and this one I have to credit to Anthony Stewart of Sportsnet. Tim Stutzla in uh, Ottawa. Yeah. Disco Stutzla. <laughs> Disco Stutzla, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. There's an interesting dynamic if you watch the if you watch them too if you watch the Kachuk brothers and Stutzla, yeah. There's a bromance brewing with with Brady and and Stutzla, you know, kind of that bro, best friend bromance, and yeah. it's an interesting dynamic to see when they play Matt, if they, when they play Calgary, the kind of the they're making a joke of it too if you watch the broadcasts of the. The, the brother spat that Matt is having with Stutzla <laughs> when they're on the ice or whatever. Stutzla goes down in the corner and Matt picks him up by the collar. And it's, you know, all this, like, it's an, it's a pretty humorous, humorous thing to, to see. Um, but it's, it's great. It's great to see the Brady and Stutzla bonding and it's great to see kind of all that stuff. So. In Ottawa, uh, on the subject of Ottawa, Drake Batherson is lighting it up. We called him as a as a star to watch before the season started. Um, we told, uh, I think, one of our early preseason broadcasts, we were talking about the fact that if Markstrom gets into trouble in Calgary, that they they're going to be in massive struggles, and and uh, and that has been the case. So we're starting to see some sellers emerge in all through all four divisions. But do you think there are any buyers out there? Can anybody scrape up the cap space or make something happen with assets to, to buy? We call Buffalo being abysmal and they're, they're terrible and getting worse every day. Like I, I, well, they're buyers. Well, first of all, you, you, you get my argument when I talked earlier of consistency, correct? Oh, for sure. Um, on, that, on that note, in the in the vein of sellers and buyers and, and things like that, there are team. What I to further solidify my argument of consistency and needing to string together wins and the the one for one, win one, lose one way of doing things, even in the regular season, won't get you very far. Is there are teams out there like Calgary? who if Markstrom goes down, they're dead in the water. Yep. If, you know, Buffalo sits or loses Eichel, they're already in trouble, but oh my gosh, are they in trouble? Yeah. You know, these types of things. But there are teams out there, and this is my argument, there are teams out there like Vegas, like Colorado, like anything like that. And this is where as an Avalanche fan, I'm very disappointed in them when I watch them is – when a guy goes down, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to, that's not a problem for you because McKinnon goes down and Nichushkin, with how he's been playing the past few games, holy crap, Nichushkin can step in. No, and you're not missing a beat. All these things, that's the beauty of having one of the best pipelines in the league. So my argument, I feel like I'm making it a, a better argument about it right now in that 
there are teams out there that don't have to worry about if one guy goes down, they're dead in the water because they, they're built that way. But why, why, and yes, it's the beauty of the regular season, but why play that way then if you don't, if you're, you don't, if you're not in that position? Colorado is no longer in that position that they were five years ago. They're not in position that Buffalo is in now. They're not where Calgary is now. Vegas, you know, these teams. So why play as if missing McKinnon or missing Mark Stone or missing, you know, whoever puts you dead in the water? Why play that way? I get that it's easier said than done, but that's my argument with consistency. In that, wow. in that regard, um, sellers and buyers, um, Calgary, I think, is a seller. They've even come out and said that pretty much nobody is untouchable. Uh, <laughs> Buffalo is has got to be a seller. Um, there's rumors going around that Nashville is a seller. To name a few teams off the top of my head, I would think that San Jose would be a seller it, closer to the deadline. Um, depending on which side of that line they fall, um, See, I can't say they're a seller just simply because they've had a good couple of drafts the last few years. So I can't say LA is a seller. So never mind that. So there's a, a few teams that are sellers. Kind of what we talked about before we went on recording, though. I struggle to see buyers simply on the basis of COVID and a flat salary cap and all these things. Now, a team like Colorado again just put Eric Johnson on LTIR. That's five plus million dollars in cap relief now because he's on LTIR. So you combine that with the cap space they did have, Colorado is now in a position to potentially be a buyer at the deadline to help push them over the hump to continue into the playoffs. Maybe, maybe that maybe situations like that would create more buyers than I think there are, but strictly on paper, I'm not going to say nothing's going to happen at the deadline or in the offseason at free agency or anything like that. But with questions around the draft, with with the big question that we've mentioned a few weeks in a row now of what happens if teams can't play all 56, yeah, um, different things like that, uh, flat cap, all these things. I don't. I'm not going to say nothing happens. Because welcome to the season, welcome, welcome to it. Things are going to happen. I just don't see buyers in the sense that we normally see them. No. No, you take a, take a team that thinks that they are close. Um, I don't know, pick one. Winnipeg Jets. They could, they could win a cup and not this year and not be a total shock. The, who knows? But are they going to be buyers? <clears throat> I normally you would say no because Sheveldayoff is not a big mover. He's a little like Bob Murray in Anaheim. He's not an aggressive guy. He he likes to stand pat and and play with what he's got. But Pittsburgh, Boston, um, the Flyers, maybe who is who's a, who are bubble teams? Uh, the Florida Panthers, Carolina. Are there are there players out there that will? presume to put you over the over the top holes that you need to fill maybe a goaltender in Edmonton I don't know I'm just uh, just throwing ideas but like you said you've got to have the cap space you've got to be able to move contracts and you know in in today's uh in today's environment 
are there guys you look how many guys who've gotten put on waivers in the yep. last three or four months and cleared yep there's been 25 guys put on waivers and one picked up it's so, uh, it's unprecedented so I say not it won't happen but it no. unfortunately with this situation more so than any other situation in previous years in order to to be a buyer from a selling team you have to one have the room to take in that contract that they're selling because if they're selling what they're doing is they're doing what is rumored to be happening in nashville and they're trying to sell off duchene and johansson johansson's contracts those are big contracts so you can't buy those contracts unless you've got the space to do so. The Duchesne, Duchesne conversation is a whole other argument as to why I would not buy on Matt Duchesne. Yes. But the point is, those are big contracts. And you have to have the room financially and structurally within the cap to do so. Now, more so than previous years, in order to do that, though, you then have to return a contract. And, and what makes it difficult is that sellers are trying to offload contracts yeah. so that they can bring in prospects and draft picks. They can bring in young pieces. They can do this and that and free clap space to continue a rebuild. But if you're offloading big contract for big contract, you're now, all you're doing now is just creating a blockbuster trade and you're not actually, you're not actually successfully doing things the way buyers and sellers typically do things. So you're not, you're not going to see a team that needs a big piece goaltender, for example, in order to be successful down the stretch and into the playoffs offloading. They're not going to be able to get a Markstrom from Calgary, just to name a guy for $6 million without also having to offload a five, six, seven million dollar contract of their own. And if if Calgary or any other team is trying to sell that, so now they've got six plus million in space for prospects and draft picks, do you see it happening? So I I won't say nothing happens. I will say it's gonna be interesting to see what happens because I just don't see I don't I just don't see the stereotypical buyer seller dynamic that it, so this year, I'm not going to set my alarm on on uh, trade or on uh, free agent or trade trade deadline day, or probably free agency either. But you, when when you look at look at the teams that have <clears throat> look at the teams that have more than let's say two million dollars in cap space, Carolina contender needs a goaltender. Nashville, not a contender. The Bruins, contender. Florida Panthers, contender. LA Kings, contender. All the rest are not. New Jersey, Detroit, Ottawa, the Rangers, not, not in contention. So why would they buy? Why would they make moves? They're not in contention. They can't afford to go out and pick up a big white elephant contract like a, like a Duchesne or somebody because they're not going anywhere anyway. All they're going to do is take one. Let me make, take your mistake and let make it mine. That's just not going to happen. Now I can see it in the case of possibly the Kings maybe looking to pick up a piece and they can afford it. Maybe the Bruins. There's a lot of rumors about things going on in Boston. Carolina Hurricanes. 
Hurricanes may be looking at goaltender. Uh, Edmonton may be looking at a goaltender, but they got a whole they got a whole list of things that they've got to juggle before that can happen. So you're right. I don't see much happening. I, I, lots of need. Lots of people would love to get rid of contracts. Lots of people would love to find a piece or two of that depth that you were describing earlier, which you have to have for consistency. Consistency and depth are pretty close to the same thing. They overlap so much, there's not a lot of difference. But with all those, all those needs out there, the reality is just simple. There's, there's not enough space. There's, there's not enough pieces in the pie. I agree. I, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's totally off the board because we're now, um, we're now, I'm now going to mention rumor land, but I did read that uh, Darren, Darren Dreger mentioned that Pittsburgh should move Crosby. First of all, the question would be to you, do you, do you think that's something Pittsburgh should do? And second of all, the, the rumor, Darren Dreger said the best fit for Crosby would be Colorado. However, if he, if he were to go to Colorado, just speculation, what would Colorado have to give up? That's the, that's the question. Because you're not going to get the best player in the game today for less than name, name the pieces. So rumor land, I don't see it ever happening that way objectively or from an avalanche fan perspective, but just interesting. Evan, he has, uh, the reason I think that's ridiculous with all due respect to Darren Dreger is Crosby has five years left at 8.7. Reason number one. Reason number two, your fans would burn the arena down if you did anything with Crosby that didn't return you know, Nate McKinnon, which isn't going to happen or something to that effect. If you want to send a signal that we are going to absolutely suck for the next seven or eight years, pedal Sidney Crosby. And the next thing that will happen is Malcolm will be playing out his option. Uh, You've got, you've already got Latang, who's, who's at the end of his, you know, dominant career. Um, No, I mean, I, yeah, there's a lot of rumors out there, but of, among those, I that may be one of the most far-fetched things that I have heard. Yeah. Not to say it won't happen. I agree. I've been surprised. Uh, moving on, let's talk uh, to close things up this week. Let's talk uh, a few quick intangibles, some heart, heart and soul, real quick, and we'll we'll close things out this week. Let you get back to what you're doing and all that stuff, and close things out for another week. Um, cause I know, and we've mentioned it before we did mention it, obviously not last week, but I think the week before we did mention Josh Hosang at least a little bit, um, guys like Matt Calvert, um, if you listen to my last episode, I'm not going to ever broach the subject because welcome to a, a highly fueled rant on my part, if I do about Tom Wilson, <laughs> So we're leaving him untouched because anybody who listens knows how I feel about that dumbass. But Calvert, um, Ryan Reeves, guys like that, intangibles that we've discussed a little bit before, uh, guys you need in your lineup that we kind of talked about last week as well. Um, yeah. 
Like, I, but you also had Josh Hosang to mention of a guy that um, in that same boat that somehow, some way, either rubs people the wrong way or wasn't didn't have the right attitude in the locker room, something because he's a guy we have yet to even see. So here's here's a quick update on the status of Josh Hosang. When he was in the OHL draft, which is a big deal, he was ranked uh, even with Connor McDavid at the age of 14, 15. They were, they were ranked by OHL Central Scouting as equal. Now, we know where McDavid is. Do you know where Hosang is? He's in Sweden. And, and if, he, if he treats his team and his career in Sweden the same way he treated his career in North America, he will be managing a Cinnabon in Omaha. But he was – so he shows up for his first pro training camp. He's invited to the Islanders training camp. He, he shows up late. He's late to camp. He's 18, 19 years old, and he shows up late. Yep. They send him home. Does he get his act together? No. no. He has never seen the light of day. And, and at this age, in, in his early to mid-20s, he's not going to. So here's a how not to for you. Here's how to take Connor McDavid type of skills and turn them into a career selling insurance, no no disrespect to insurance salesmen. Josh Hosang is how not to do it. How to do it? Matt Calvert. Anybody named Tanev. Anybody named Sutter. Uh, I, would, I would ask an open-ended question here for your ponder. Is anybody in this league, from the standpoint of heart and soul and performance results, is anybody more vital to their team than Brendan Gallagher? It's one thing to be a heart and soul guy. It's one thing to be Ryan Reeves or Matt Calvert or somebody that you just go through a wall for. But here's, here's a guy who puts up 50, 60 points a year. Power play specialist, net front guy. He's, a, he's both. You watch, watch them play, and he is absolutely the catalyst on that squad and that's a good team but he's he's he and Carey Price are it so it doesn't always have to be a plumber it can be it can be just about anyone I I would say that that Crosby is a heart guy uh certainly Zach Hyman is a heart guy Brian Bickle way back when um Chris Draper like go on and on and on the and and you cannot have a winner without him Point me to point me to the roster of anybody who's won the cup in our lifetime, and I'll show you a bunch of these guys. And back when, and I won't go too far onto this one because this is for another day. In the '60s, '70s, even into the '80s, it was hard to find a roster spot that wasn't one of these guys. So if you got 25 guys in your roster, probably 24 of them were this kind of heart and soul player. Well, then along came guys like Kovalev and Craig Janney. And all of a sudden, if you have enough skill, you can get by without playing very hard. And now good teams hope to have two or three of them. Yeah. Well, you know, Blues, um, what, did, what did Tampa go out and add? They added heart and soul. They had skill. They couldn't win. They added Goudreau and Coleman. So 
these are the guys we're talking about. And on that subject, before, before I let you go on that, I I'm still encourage everybody listening, if you, if you know of this, if you grew up with this, if you were in minor hockey and your coach or your teammate or somebody was that heart and soul guy, in addition to maybe the, the stories of triumph and tragedy that we talked about at the outset, tell us. Everybody's, everybody knows who they are at the NHL level. Send in your guys. We would love to put some air under this kind of player at the junior level, at the midget or bantam level. Um, this, this type of character is what makes our game beautiful, and it's not just in the show. It's everywhere. So please contribute. Please get in touch. Yep, agreed. Well, it's... Well, first of all, Gallagher is borderline rat-like if, you, if you're not. So he's, he's touchy there, like a Marchand or, or something like that. But um, I get what you're saying, it, and I agree. It's honestly one of the arguments that I've made, that I've been making about a Connor McDavid, for example. I think we get we get so lost in Connor McDavid's skill and oh wow is he skilled and oh wow is he good 100 points a year he's on pace for a in a 56 game season to have 90 points for crying out loud he, <laughs> he's doing tremendous things but what McDavid lacks a little bit in my humble opinion because again let's be clear it's all opinions right is a little bit of that two-way game if McDavid isn't, isn't taking the puck up the ice full speed the way he does, you don't really notice Connor McDavid. Am I wrong in that? No. And that's, I, and it's not to say that he's a horrible guy or that no. he doesn't, or that he has a bad attitude, but at least on, in, to start this, my take on it out, you don't notice McDavid unless he's taking the puck up north-south full tilt down the ice in his typical McDavid fashion. Otherwise, you don't really notice him. At least I don't. He's missing a bit of that two-way game. And it's one, of the, it's one of the reasons why I gravitate toward myself and my hockey heroes, a Paul Stasny, guys like that, that will score from five feet out on the crease that are tremendous shot, shot blockers and good in the defensive end and have more assists than they do goals. And I mean, David is tremendous. He's going to go down as the best player in the game once Crosby retires. But he's missing a bit of that two-way game to where if he doesn't have the puck, you don't really notice him. That's, that's fair. I, and like before everybody jumps through their Twitter wormhole head first, he is so good with the puck that sometimes we don't need to, we don't pay much attention to him when he doesn't have it. But the, the great players, the Joe Sackicks, the Crosby's, the, you know, the guys that are, that are fantastic and they, the list is forever. But you do have to be able to play without the puck. You got to block shots, win a face off, check, kill a penalty, um, 
you know, get a clear uh, with a minute to go. You, the guys, the guys that you want to have out there when when the going is tough in the third period of a tie game, um, yeah, absolutely, you want McDavid on the ice. But it's not because he's going to make sure that you get, you know, a, a stop in in your own end. It's going to be because at some point before long, he's probably going to have the puck on his stick and he's got a chance to win the game for you. I I agree with you. It, it um, the great ones, the people that we love to watch the most, are the guys that do things that don't necessarily make the score sheet. Hey, yep, I agree. Yeah, and that's why you know I can save it for when we're not recording, so we can have more of a personal discussion about it. But it's it's there's a number of players right now from a personal level playing from for the Avalanche that I'm loving, and for that exact regard, um, and it's. Great to, for the game to have guys like McDavid, um, but it's one of the reasons why, for all the criticism he he gets thrown, it's one of the reasons why I love Crosby, because Crosby's proven that he'll go to the corners. He's proven that he'll that he'll come back into his own end a bit, um, and it's not to say that McDavid is like Ovechkin, um, no, no, in that regard, but. Just in general, though, McDavid, maybe maybe it'll come with age and experience a little bit. I don't know, but McDavid is kind of the guy that you see in the movies all the time of just get this guy the puck, right? And if you don't get him the puck, you don't see him, right? Or nothing really much is happening. And that's more of a deeper discussion about what's going on in Edmonton more so than this discussion. But anyway, that's, you get my point. Um, I do. And, and it's not, that's, that's a fair assessment. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. He does, he needs to play, he needs to contribute more when he does not have the puck. Yeah. So, and, and he's certainly got the speed and the strength uh, and the quickness to be able to do those things. It's, it's the willingness. It's also, I'm not going to try to defend anybody who doesn't play all 200 feet, but because I took too many pot shots at Ovechkin for too many years to, to now start making excuses. But I would say that most of the time his contribution is going to be offensive. So you certainly don't want to waste minutes with him too much on the ice, killing penalties. You don't want to, you don't want to waste too many minutes out there with him taking defensive zone draws, maybe because you want him where he can get the puck, right? You want to, you want to make sure that you can get him the puck because that's what he does. That's what win games wins games for you. And you get a whole bunch of, you get a whole bunch of, you know, million and a half guys to do all the other dirty work for you. But that's not, that's not to say that everyone, Connor McDavid included, uh, shouldn't be concentrating on how to do all of the little things in the game and knowing what kind of a character guy he is. He probably, he probably is paying a lot of attention to his face-off ability and things like that. But we see we see more of the physical play and more of the, of the really, really willingness to get your nose dirty with guys like, like Crosby and, and Nate McKinnon and even Matthews and guys like that. Now Matthews, Crosby, McKinnon are three star players that are, that kind of have the, a well-rounded game. Yeah. And to, to go with Brennan Gallagher or things like that, doesn't matter if you're an all-star, if you're a the superstar or if you're a Matt Calvert, it's it's great when you have both production and um, that those intangibles. Um, oh yeah! But 
in my humble opinion, and this is not going to, this is going to be go against what a lot of people love, which is the flash and things like that, which is why they love, which is why they love a, a McDavid. Right. Um, but if I had to pick one, I would take the intangibles over the other. It's great when they have both, whether you're a superstar that, that has the two way game or you're the, the grinder that can also produce, you want both. Um, and that's why guys like Paul Stasny will have a career probably till he's, till he himself chooses to retire rather than is forced to retire because he, he sees the game. Well, he sees the ice. Well, he, he's a two way player. He wins face-offs and he doesn't really get hurt aside from blocking a shot every now and then that might break a wrist. He's, he's, he doesn't get hurt. He's always in the lineup and he, you can count on him. And so you want guys like that. And so to close things out, um, I'll let you make a note of this so we don't forget, but next week I want to dive more into going off of Josh Hosang. I want to dive more into, um, letdowns a little bit, um, players that, coming in, you were like, wow, I can't wait to see what he does and have either, have either not been seen or haven't lived up. Yeah. Um, okay. Whether that's a Josh Hosang or, um, Neil Yakupov yep. or up till this year a, a little bit. Connor Bleakley. Bleakley, uh, whether it up to this year, a little bit, Kuliarvi, um, up to last year, Nikshushkin, um, Matt Duchesne. I know, I know, I myself kicked that horse a lot, but Matt Duchesne, um, different guys like that, guys that could be seen as a letdown, either through their career or up to this point in their career. Um, and obviously, that that conversation can create more more context and more to it on. Is it environment? Is it coaching? Is it them? Is it whatever? But in general, up to this point, um, letdowns yep. in in the game so far. Um, Absolutely. That way, it's a natural progression into next next week, um, and I look forward to it. So yeah, me too. It's it's a good thing for because we spend so much time and effort and and put so much of our love of the game into developmental hockey. From, from Adams and Peewees on up uh, and the attention that we pay to junior hockey and, and the draft and developmental uh, minor leagues and things like that, that it's a, it's a great thing for everybody to understand that has young hockey players in their house or who is a young hockey player, that skill is great. And if you have, but if you have skill, it is not enough. And and if you don't, if you don't believe me, look at all these guys who are now pumping gas instead of playing where they should be in the National Hockey League, and all the guys who don't have half that skill set who are making millions and playing the game they love. And the difference is is work ethic and heart and soul. If you have skill, you can learn to be a two way player. And we've talked about Carboneau and Couturier and guys like that. But you. You can't necessarily take a, um, a a plumber in junior and make him into a Sid Crosby. You know, you, the, those are those are some God given talents. But once in a while, then 
you come up with a Patrice Bergeron, a Jonathan Taves, a Gabe Landeskog, the guys who have both, and, and or your example of Paul Stasny, 20-year careers at the very, very top of the game and always in demand. Yeah. Always. So, good point. Anyway, uh, good discussion this week. Um, yeah. Well, lot to look forward to in the coming week. I'm, well, look, I'm looking forward to, seriously, I want to hear from from our listenership. I want to hear from, from people out there that have stories of, of those who – God forbid, have been lost and, and gone too early uh, from the game or of people that have had uh, tragedy and triumph and, and uh, guys who have shown what the heart of the game, what the heart of hockey is all about. Please get in touch with us. We'd love yep. to show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lots to look forward to. Um, we'll, do the, we'll do the closeout here on Zoom together this week. Um, okay. And uh, so lots to look forward to. Um, Thank you for joining on Zoom. Always my pleasure. We've got a, we have, you know, we, we ramble and we talk a lot about a lot of different things on here, but people have no idea how much we spend five hours of this at breakaway or in our living rooms for every hour we spend on, on camera. So this is just what we are. Absolutely. So anyway, <laughs> uh, thanks for joining. Um, Always a pleasure. Enjoyed it. Um, make sure you head to the necessary social media platforms. You like and follow us. Uh, that you subscribe. Uh, you rate and review. Um, and keep enjoying. Keep listening. Engage with us. That's a big one. Not many people have engaged with us yet, so we'll keep putting that call to action out there. Uh, yeah. And yeah, we'll, uh, we're looking forward to another discussion next week. I got. I want to leave you with one thought. Imagine. Of a forward line of Gallagher centering Tom Wilson and Brad Marchand. <laughs> what do you think? Now, when you wake up screaming during the night, please don't call me. And that's my nightmare now. Yeah, um, <laughs> I said I wasn't going to get into Tom Wilson because I know partly because I know that that it's going to be like pulling teeth with you because you you defiantly don't see a problem with Tom Wilson, but so I'm not going to, I'm not going to dive into it, but okay. he well, deserves, he deserves seven games. He deserves, he deserves 20 games. He deserves to not play. And, and until you rein Tom Wilson in, you're going to have a lot more Brandon Carlos going to the hospital. So I'm not making light of anybody getting hurt. The league needs to get Tom Wilson reined in quite frankly, before somebody is seriously hurt and I'm, you know, God forgive me for, for saying this. I don't see the one thing I don't see Tom Wilson ever doing is something as serious as, as this in a, in a neglectful, hurtful manner. Um, but in the way he plays, you're, you're running into a dangerous situation where he hits somebody and that somebody will never play again. Yep. Uh, no. rain, rain him in. So that doesn't happen. And quite frankly, rein him in before a Ryan Reeves or somebody gets a hold of Tom Wilson and shows him what happens. And then Tom Wilson may not play again because that's a lot of pent up shit. So the league needs to rein him in this suspend him six games and 
okay, let him go, and, and comments being made after Carlo hit that he's not a repeat offender, screw you, yes, he is. So figure it out, even if that means he's no longer in the game, even if that means he goes to Europe somewhere, get him out get him reined in by the collar or you're going to, or he and the capitals and the league are going to have some serious issues because this, he's not clearly not learning his lesson, plain and simple done. I'm not carrying on more about it. I'm, I, I want to, I want to say, first of all, I'm not, I, I'm not making in any way, making light of, of, of a great young player like Brandon Carlo getting hurt. And secondly, I apologize to our loyal listeners for having lit this particular fuse. I did it in jest, but I, I did it just, you know, I tend to, I tend to uh, participate on your podcast a little bit the same way Tom Wilson plays the wing, you know, sometimes pushing things right to the limit. And if you want to suspend me for a couple of episodes, I understand. Here's the deal. Here's, and here's the deal. And this is the, all I'm going to say about it. The last okay. thing I'm going to say about it. And to me, this is where my, my view on it has credibility because you know where I stand with Brad Marchand. But the difference with a Brad Marchand is he's a pest. He'll, he'll get in your face. He'll, he'll give you little slashes on the heels. You know, he'll, he'll you know, push you. He'll, you know, as disgusting and horrible as it is, which, again, credit to Chara for reining him in, he'll, he'll lick you. He'll, he'll bite you. <laughs> He'll bite your finger, and that's that's gross, and that's that's annoying, and that's oh, I I don't like him. There's a difference between that. There's a difference between that and running around like a chicken with your head cut off with pure negligence and actually hurting people. There's right. a, there's a difference. There is a difference, and that's why this my views on it have credibility because in this regard i am defending brad marchand because at least he's he's not running around hitting people from behind hitting them in the head blindsiding them cheap shotting them doing all these things and then the whole world looking baffled when they say it was a dirty hit there's a difference between the two plain and simple so all right I'm done. calm down big guy calm down I enjoyed this week's conversation. <laughs> I look forward to next week's. Thanks for joining on Zoom. Yeah, thanks for having me. Seriously, thanks for having me. I love it. And I uh, appreciate it. I'll be looking forward to getting the studio again soon. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you to our listeners. I'm Evan Rauer with Horn the Hockey Podcast. We'll see you all in the hockey community. Cheers. Cheers, everyone.